So the title of today's message is Clean and Tidy. Seems, seems kind of fitting on Mother's Day, right? So, but I would venture a guess that most of us like at least one area of our life, maybe not every area, but most of us like at least one area of our life pretty clean and tidy, right? I mean, there's just something to be said about, whoo, all right, it's under control, I've got it, everything's fine, it's, it's all pretty clean and tidy. Maybe it's your house, maybe it's your car, maybe it's your yard, maybe it's your office, you get the idea. There's usually at least one area of our life that is pretty clean and tidy. My car used to be that way until I had children. Now the back seat just looks like a bomb went off every time I open the door and I'm going, I don't even remember having snacks back here, but you know, it's just what it is. And so, and the truth though about clean and tidy is that there are many differing opinions about what clean and tidy looks like, right? I mean, come on, right? I mean, there is like the lowest form of cleanliness, teenagers. <clears throat> and then it just kind of goes up from there, right? I mean, it goes up, you know, from, from teenager all the way down here, maybe preteens. I mean, you know, it's, a, you know, we're getting close, you know, and just kind of, you know, but, but we go, we go all the way up from there where we have teenagers, most grownups, most, not all, Mr. Clean, Right? And then we have, at the very top of the list, every wife when their mother-in-law is coming over to visit. So this is just all the way up here. That hit a little too close home for some of you. I don't know, but it's, it's a reality. Oh, they're coming over. We've got to scrape the bus boards. We never clean the baseboards. It doesn't matter. It has to be done. They're not going to look at your baseboards, I promise. But I want to talk about something today that I believe is a challenge for most of us in our everyday lives. And that is finding the beauty in the mess, even though we desire everything to be clean and tidy. While it's good to have standards of cleanliness, we need to make sure that we are not so, excuse me, we need to make sure that we are not so concerned with an outside appearance that we forget about what really matters. It's always great when things are just kind of in a nice little package, in a nice little bow. It looks amazing. And everybody can think it's just incredible. But if what's inside is not valuable, then that box is just a pretty box. We have a lot of pretty boxes at our house and as decoration without anything inside. I'm still not real sure why, but it's true. And there are all these aspects, you know, where we can sit there and go, yes, but look at this box. Look how pretty it is. Look how it is amazing. And it is, it's so pretty on the outside. But what about the inside? In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, God reminds the prophet um, Samuel, who was going to, God had told him, I need you to go and anoint the new king of Israel. And it's going to be one of Jesse's sons. But he didn't tell him which one. And so he had gone through all the sons except for David because David was the youngest and he was out in the fields doing other things. 
And he keeps thinking, man, there's got to be one of these. I mean, one of these boys has got to be it. I mean, so there's a strapping young man here. It should be him. I mean, you know, he's looking at all this stuff. And it says this. Samuel says, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, a lot of times we can sit there and we understand that. Like, oh, yeah, I mean, I, I've learned not to judge people for the way they look, mostly. And that's great. But how many times do we gain assumptions about someone simply because of maybe who they're around? Or maybe because of what their job is? Or maybe because of, well, that, and so I bet this. And, and we begin to look at these outward appearances of things, and we don't actually look at the heart of things that are going on. And God is going, hey, hey, guys, hang on a second, because the reality is, is that we need to begin to look at what's important and don't just keep things up for appearance's sake. You see, Jesus even called out the Pharisees who were the church people of his day. Like the Pharisees get a bad rap and in some regard, rightfully so. But at the same time, these guys were the religious scholars of their day. In order to even be able to train as a Pharisee, you had to learn, the, memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. Not just what they are, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I did it! <clears throat> no, not that. Every verse within it. And that's just to be able to begin to become a Pharisee. So these people were very learned men, and they knew what it was, and they knew all this. But then Jesus calls them this in Matthew 23, verse 27. He says, man, he says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Like, yeah, give it to those Pharisees, but give it... To yourself for a minute and go, whoo. What areas of my life am I like a whitewashed tomb? Where I look good to other people around me. But that area of my life on the inside is filled with dead bones and all sorts of impurity. And the truth is, is that probably all of us have at least one area like that in our life. Maybe only one, but at least one. And... We have to learn how to let what God is wanting to do in us not just make us look nice on the outside, but actually do an inner work inside of us so that we can become who he has called us to become. You see, according to scripture, and it's not up here on the screen, but in in Acts chapter 3, we're told that Jesus is the author of life. That's what it says. You know, Peter tells him, he's talking to the people there, and he says, man, it goes, you guys, you guys murdered, you guys crucified the author of life, talking about Jesus. And that word there in the Greek for author, it's the architect, the designer, the one who created, the one who went before to do all the work. He's like, you destroyed the architect, the author of life. See, Jesus is the giver of life. Scripture affirms that in all over. But I have a question for you. As we're celebrating Mother's Day, 
how many of you have realized that in life, life is just messy? Right? I have. Life is just messy. I mean, I remember I used to have this ideal of what it was going to look like when I had kids. And then I had reality of what it looks like when I have kids. And those two things were very different. My kids will never. <laughs> Life is messy. And that is every aspect of life. You see, so often we want, we want the idea of what we see on TV, on social media, the idea that other people portray that everything's going great and that they never have any problems. We sit there and think, man, if my life was just like theirs, it'd be perfect. And oh my goodness, I can't believe that they, they have such a perfect life. I mean, they wouldn't lie on Instagram. Right? When in reality, everybody struggles because life is messy. See, we, we all kind of want the Norman Rockwell painting as our life. It looks really nice. Like, oh, yeah, it's up there. Look at that. Oh, isn't that amazing? You're all sitting around the dinner table. Everybody's saying grace at Thanksgiving. It's fantastic. And ah, I've yet to experience that in my life. <clears throat> because real life is messy. Some of my best memories from being a kid are when the plans went awry. Right? Now, I'm sure at the moment it was not my parents' best memory. It may not even still be now. But as, as somebody who grew up, I'm like, man, I remember that one time. Ooh, man, that was awesome. And dad's going, yeah, that should have never happened. I'm like, but it was awesome. And my plans, you know, all those plans go awry and it created something that has lasted now for 35, 40 years. Where it wasn't part of the plan. It wasn't actually all clean and tidy. It got a little messy, but it created something inside of me. See, there's, there's a proverb in Proverbs chapter 14 and it says it like this. Without oxen... A stable stays clean, but you need a strong ox for a large harvest. The Passion Translation says that same verse like this. It says, the only clean stable is an empty stable. So if you want to work, excuse me, if you want the work of an ox and to enjoy an abundant harvest, you'll have a mess or two to clean up. Oftentimes, it has been my experience that we, we love the idea of having an ox. But then when the messes start coming, we start going, well, why is this happening? Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. I mean, oh man, I got to make this stable clean and tidy again. And the only way to keep something clean and tidy is to not let anybody ever live in it. This church could be spick and span and clean and not have any cracks in the walls, not have any dings or dents or anything if nobody ever came to church here. 
We can sit there and go, whoo, this building is beautiful. Oh, really? Do a lot of people come there? No, we don't let anybody inside because, man, (laughs) we don't want to mess that up. I had two different grandmas growing up, one on my mom's side and one on my dad's side. And one, I won't say which one, one of them was the chaos queen. I mean, it was just free for all at grandma's house. I mean, it was awesome. As a kid, you're like, woohoo, this is the best thing ever. The other one was the orderly queen, where you could have fun if it was structured in this 15 minutes. <clears throat> I'm kind of joking, but not really. You know, I mean, and, 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 and the reality was, though, is that they both just approached life from different ways. And the thing is, is that even in our own lives and all this stuff about being clean and tidy, it's amazing to me how so many of us have, we kind of just have, have, have this mentality, depending on our own individual bent, the way that we have been raised, the way that we do things, we either love to see God as a God of order or as a God of life. And the reality is, is that God is a God of both order and life. He's not one or the other. He's a both and. But just because of our own expectations and our own personalities, we tend to look at, well, God's this one of order. He's that one grandma that Chris had where you could have structured fun for 15 minutes, but that's it. And then on the other side, you have the other one who's like, no, man, I see God as the grandma who just lets you go, woo and do whatever you want. The God is a God of order and a God of life. And that's what makes things sometimes so challenging because we love to have things clean and tidy. I'm going to step on some toes here in a minute and say that we even like to have our church services really clean and tidy. I'm going to do two songs, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. And and, and, man, if Jesse preaches after 11.05, I'm out. (laughs) I teased him about being the long-winded one. And so, and and, and we have this idea that, well, it has to, it has to, it has to, it has to. And I'm not saying that we don't have structure But we have to make sure that our structure and that our plans do not interfere with what God might be wanting to do in that moment. And that goes not only in church services, but that also goes in our everyday life. So often we can just structure everything so much in our everyday life that, well, at 8 o'clock I'm this, and by 8.15 I'm here, and then by 8.27 I'm going to be this, and then by 9.15 I have this, and then I have this, and I have this. And next thing you know, you're like, oop, and then at 8.45 i got to get ready for bed, and at 9.15 I'll be asleep. And you have your day so structured that you may have done something nice. It may be really clean and tidy, but how much life was in it? How much life was in it? Now, as always, you can take that to the other extreme and be just as wrong on the other side of that. Woo, no structure. Everything's going to be great. It's not, I promise. My kids think it's great until they don't. And we have to allow ourselves to become bendable, flexible, so that as God begins to do things within our own lives, within our own families, within our own situations, whatever it might be, that we go, okay, 
God, that's, that's a stretch. I don't know if I really like that one. But we say, I'm willing. Because I know, I know that you love me. We have to understand that God, let me say it this way. Remember, if you're the person who's like, no, God's a free for all. Remember, he's a God of order. If you're the person who says, no, God's a God of order, he's a God of life. Don't let yourself get so far entrenched in either one of those camps that you actually don't hear and don't listen to what the word of God is trying to tell you to do. Because it can become so dangerous for either one of those. And we have to have this both and approach when it comes to God that yes, he's a God of order and he's a God of life. And sometimes guys, it's so hard because there's just this entire divine tension where it feels like you're kind of going, but, 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 good. Because that makes me have to be reliant on his word and on his voice so that I know what the next step is to take. If I get so far into order, I've got it all planned out, I don't need God. If I get so far into life, I can do whatever I want, I don't need God. But when I position myself in a place of going, okay, God, I know you're this and this, how does that look for me today? How does that look for me walking forward? How does that look as I take this next step? And in those moments, that's when we have to sit there and say, God, what does your word say for me to do? What is it, Holy Spirit, that you're leading me to do next so that I can take those next steps and then we can actually become dependent upon his word rather than dependent upon our opinions. Our responsibility is to be so close to him that we hear his voice even when he whispers. See, I, I, I just think it's funny as human nature how we always like certain things so clean and tidy. And yet the Bible talks to us and tells us about how we are sheep. Sheep are not clean and tidy animals. I don't know if you've ever seen them. They are not. They're tasty animals, but they are not clean and tidy animals. They are. Who doesn't like lamb chops, right? But, uh, but they are not clean animals. The shepherds know this. The shepherds understand how to lead a herd or a flock of unclean animals and keep them growing, keep them maturing, keep them in pasture where they need to be. But the only way that they actually know who the shepherd is is that he spends time or they spend time near the shepherd so they can understand his voice. And then they know where to be led and they know how to get there. And the great thing is, is that even as they're being led and they're going there, you know what they're leaving behind them all the way? A mess. If you've ever been here in Bayfield and stuck on 501 when they're doing the, all, all the sheep running from the mountains down into town, you're like, oh, sheep, man, that's awesome. Yeah, and then about two minutes in, you're like, get out of the way, right? And then there's a huge mess left behind. As they've gone through. You cannot have life without a mess. 
Now, we should not just be messy for the sake of being messy, but we need to start having the grace and the mercy on ourselves and on everyone around us that when we say, yeah, I need to embrace the mess because I honor and I appreciate life more than I don't like the mess. When babies are born, I was there for, for, both, of, for both of my children being born. It's a messy process. But as life happens, it's a messy process. Anybody who's been there, it's a messy process. But I cannot have life without the mess. I can't. As God begins to reach people and begins to touch their heart and and people are beginning to know who Jesus is and they're getting saved and and they want to come and and be a part of this church and other churches in town and they're just trying to, to draw in more. We have to make sure that we have the right attitude that says, it's okay that you're in a mess. I'm going to love you anyway and lead you and help lead you into life. We have to be able to say it's all right, the fact that things are messy sometimes. Now, this morning, even at, at the end of worship, as we just began to sing that, that, that little chorus, Jesus, we love you. There's just been something that's just been stirring in me for the last, I don't know, a while. Time has no meaning anymore, but... Or I just can't help but to say, Jesus, I love you. And there's something that just is stirring up inside me that just wants to let him know how much I love him. And I get it. Sometimes that can make us uncomfortable if we're like, oh, yeah, but Chris, what are you doing, man? You've said that 13 times already. You get it. You love Jesus. Or... We can take a moment and say, God, what what area do I need to embrace the mess so that my church experiences isn't always so clean and tidy? Because as we just began to sing that little chorus, I didn't plan on crying as I'm singing that. That's not something I love doing in front of people. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) But there is something of just how much I love him, this just overwhelms me. Man. And how much he loves me just overwhelms me. And in that moment, in these moments, I don't care about looking clean and tidy. I don't even, I don't mind embracing the mess because I just want him to know how much I love him. And we have to begin to have these different kinds of conversations with ourselves, and say, okay, what are these areas that I've just said? It has to look like this and it has to be in this box and it has to be here or else I'm not going to be able. And we need to start letting go of control and giving control over to him. Our control is usually what makes us love everything being clean and tidy. As long as I have control here, I'm okay. As long as I have this right here, I'm okay. As long as this box looks like this, I'm all right. But what about if we actually just trusted him?
What if we just allowed him to do what he wants to do rather than what I wanted to do in that moment? And in those moments, allowing the correction of God is never something where he's like, you dirty sinner, you're wrong. No. It's a matter of God just saying, that wasn't quite right. Let's fix that and do it. See, as I wrap this up, I want to go in Luke chapter 5, verses 30 and 32, where Jesus says this. It says, but the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? And Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. You see, Jesus embraced the mess. But the great thing about embracing the mess, he didn't leave them there and he helped them become clean and tidy. The big deal about that verse that we always need to remember is that good doctors help people get well. They don't keep them sick. It would be bad medical practice to allow someone to continue to take the poison and then lie to them and tell them that they're getting better. Right? Just keep drinking the arsenic, you'll be fine. Right? That's a terrible, terrible medical practice. And yet, far too often in churches today, we see that happening. We need to be the PAs, the physician's assistant, because he's the great physician, right? We need to be the PAs who are practicing good medicine and making people well by giving them the cure, who is Jesus. See, one of the things we have to be careful about when we say, well, yeah, I'm gonna, I'll embrace you in the mess, but you gotta be clean and tidy. So oftentimes what we think or what we mean when we say that is, I'll, I'll embrace the mess and you come out and then you'll look just like me. Because we have an idea of what clean and tidy should look like. But what we need to do is embrace the mess, help them out of the mess, and then say, whew, now our job is to help each other look like Jesus. And Jesus might take them on a different route of cleaning up than he took you on a route of cleaning up. Because that's the way God works. He knows what the first step is for each of us as individuals to take. And it's our responsibility to say, I just want to introduce you to Jesus and I want to help you know him because he's going to lead you in the way that you need to go. I don't want people to look like me. I want people to look like Jesus. And we need to not want people to look like us. We need to want people to look like Jesus. And as they begin to look like Jesus, we need to embrace the mess, help them clean it up, and then point them back to Jesus, not point them back to rules. Because the more people look like Jesus, the more they fall in love with him. And the more that people fall in love with Jesus, then the more their lives change, not because they were told you better or else, but because like, man, I just love Jesus so much, I want to do things differently in my life. That'd be foolish for us to let people continue to, you know, to not speak truth into situations where people are living destructively. I'm not saying don't speak truth, but I'm saying make sure that when you do speak truth, you speak it in love. 
when Jesus, when the woman was caught in the very act of adultery and she was brought before Jesus and they were trying to trap him, he didn't, I mean, after he did his thing and everybody went away, she was still there. And his response, she, he says, woman, where, where are your accusers? She goes, there are none. And he says, well, then I don't condemn you either. But he doesn't leave it there. He ends it with, now go and sin no more. He confronted her in the sin that was there. He confronted the others in their sin. And then he also told her, he didn't say, yeah, it's okay, keep going, you're fine. No. He said, now go and sin no more. Stop doing what you're doing that you know is wrong and become more like Jesus. And that is our responsibility for us individually as well as as we are helping other people. It's not about you better or else. No, it's about I just want you to look more like Jesus. And I'm trying to look more like Jesus. And sometimes I look more like a fake Jesus. And I'm like, shoot, that's not what I needed to do at all. And in those moments, you just repent. God, forgive me. I, I want to do this the right way. My job, according to Scripture, is to equip and mature. And sometimes that means telling us the hard truth. But we have to be able to have the tools to be able to walk boldly into what God has asked us to do. The only way for us to have those tools is to be taught and equipped. If I expected my children to do something without ever teaching them or equipping them to do it, I have nobody to blame but myself when they don't do things that way. We need to stop looking for everything to be my way or my preference. And let's start asking God how he wants to begin to change things and do things in each one of our lives. Amen? I hope that makes sense this morning. I'm not sure if it does or not. Oh, Jesse will give me grief because I went to 1109. I'm sorry. All right, so let's stand and pray. Guys, we have snacks in the, in the back um, here just a moment after we dismiss. There's snacks. Stick around and fellowship and just get, get to know other people. We'll also have people up here who would love to pray with you if you need prayer for anything. Father, we love you and we thank you. God, I just ask that you would just begin to reveal to us those areas of our lives that we have been in control for so long and that we say, yes, I want everything to look just like this. And God, let us be able to lean on your understanding and not our own so that we can do things the way you are asking us to do them. God, we want to embrace life and order, not one of the two. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. And in your name we pray. Amen. Guys, you're dismissed. Have a wonderful week and we will see you all next Sunday. Oh, yeah. Swept up in the river that's flowing.